That is a strong text. If you uh, are just joining us for the first time, uh, you've come on a very interesting week. So we're talking about, or what's uh, Peter's focus here in chapter 2 is quite uh, a distinction from what he's been looking at in chapter 1 that we spent the last few weeks on. And his, focus to, and his focus in this chapter and our focus today and next week, we're going to do chapter 2 over two weeks, which he kind of keeps this whole exciting way of talking going all through this chapter, is going to be false teachers. Those who teach false truth by the way of how they're living out their lives. He talks about their conduct. So it's not just what they were saying, but it was how they lived that made them false teachers and we also want to look at what they were teaching, some things that uh, we can be on guard for when it comes to false teachers, and keeping also in mind those who follow these teachings, keeping them in close, close in our minds. Before we go any further, let me just take a moment to pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this text. It is your word, it is true, it is your inerrant word. And we accept it as your truth, and we ask that you would open our hearts, Lord, to hear what you would have to say to us, that we would be alert and be sober-minded and be ready, Father, and be cautious, Father, when it comes to false teaching. And I pray, Father, that today I would speak only your truth, that you would fill me with your spirit as I speak and preach your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in preparation for this uh, very exciting message that I was looking forward to, no, actually, it was uh, one that I was not dreading, but certainly one that I knew would be a powerful one or one that we need to uh, really take time with. And I was, I was looking at some different things about this. I found a really cool illustration that I think uh, just helps us to put this into our minds, make it real to us. Uh, and it's an image, there's a lot of images that we'll look at also that we see Jesus use and um, Peter demonstrates. But uh, here's a great one, I think, that kind of takes us a step out of this to look at what the danger of false teaching really can look like. So if you're not, if you've heard this, then, you know, don't spoil it for anybody around you. Um, so sheep herding, in sheep herding, there's this kind of common practice, um, and I researched as much as I can. I'm not an expert on shepherding, so if you are, you can come and correct me afterwards. I'm not claiming any expertise here, but uh, from the research I found, this is really quite common, and what they do is they take a, a weather, which is a, a castrated male sheep, or a goat, also usually neutered, and uh, this goat is then trained to kind of interact with the sheep, to be a part of the, the group, to gain their kind of trust. He, he's always there around them, and they use the goat to lead the sheep into different pastures. But then, and we don't know, maybe the goat is just really persuasive in the way he communicates, but I mean, I don't know why the sheep would follow a goat, but apparently they do. And they use these goats to train them to, to follow this goat, to gain the sheep's trust. And then there comes a point when it's time to slaughter the sheep. And they use this goat to, because the goat is trusted, to lead them into the slaughterhouse, right onto the killing floor where they will be slaughtered. And right as they enter into the killing floor, a trap door opens and the goat slips away free and then the door shuts and the sheep are there left to face their doom alone. And then the goat goes out and gets the next bunch to bring in. It's an image of false teachers. And that this they call these goats uh, Judas goats. And that's what I'm calling this message today. Judas goats. If you know anything about the Bible, Judas, you know, betrayed Jesus. All right. You guys are awake, right? All right. So Judas goats, keeping in mind this, this idea of betrayal, earning their trust, being among them, being one of them, and then leading them to destruction, leading them to slaughter. And my hope today, and over the next, this week and next week, I really want you guys to take this to heart. I really want this to be something that you connect with, that you are sharpened, that we're sharpened by this passage. We really heed the words that Peter is warning us about 
and the warnings he's given us. And that we would learn how to be vigilant, how to be on the lookout for anyone that would be preaching or teaching what amounts ultimately to a lie that does not lead to life. It does not lead to hope. It leads to death. Because this is a very real danger. It's something that's not, it was as, it's as, prevalent, uh, it was as prevalent then as it is today. It's not something that's gone away or diminished. In fact, I would say quite the opposite. There are people teaching false truths today. And it's a very real danger. One that brings swift destruction is the way he words it. On those that are knowingly teaching this false truth, but unfortunately not them alone. Also those who they deceive. Those who they lead to that slaughter. Like the sheep being led by a Judas goat. In verse 2 it says, Many will follow their, dis- their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Many will follow. They're bringing division. They're not bringing unity. They're not bringing hope. They're making us question the truth. And they are questioning the truth of God's word because they do not trust in the Lord. They don't belong to him. They're not one of his. And they lead others down this same path, many down this same path. Jesus warns of the same thing, as we'll look at later. So we're going to go through five points today, for those of you who are big note takers. Uh, We're going to go through five points to better understand and identify false teachers and the dangers that they present. And I want to be clear, I'm not going to use any names of any specific preachers, if that's what you were like, oh, who's he going to mention? Who's he going to say? And like already angry at me even before I said anything. If you have somebody in mind, you have, that might be God telling you something. I'm not, I'm not saying anything, but I'm not going to mention names. But I do hope that God challenges us maybe to reevaluate all of the people that are, we are going to for truth. All the people who are inputting into our lives and that we would be more cautious. So number one, first point, false teaching is within the church. Verse 1. So, but there were also false prophets among the people. And there he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, uh, that there were, there were prophets like Isaiah, there were prophets like all of the prophets of the, the books of the prophets that we read. But during those times, there were also false prophets that were spewing out lies and misguiding the people. And usually they would end up being stoned. So it wasn't a very long career to be a false prophet in the Old Testament. But there were false prophets among the people then, just as there will be false teachers among you. So here he's kind of talking about future tense, but it obviously he's talking about it was already in play. So this is only 30 years or so after Jesus ascended into heaven. Already they're dealing with false teachers, but he gives us this kind of, it's not ending. This is the beginning. They're going to be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves, and as we also saw, not only on themselves, but on those who follow them. Now, we have talked in chapter 1 a lot about the world and how it's always, you know, pulling us in the opposite direction. We're always kind of being pulled away from the ways of God. As we go through our day, as we live our lives here on the earth, we're being pulled away from that truth. And we must, as he said in chapter 1, we must make every effort, right, to fight against that pull and to press in towards the Lord. But that is not the only danger. And this is the real warning of chapter 2 here, that there are those among us, there are those among us teaching false truth. And we can even be pulled away from within the walls of God's own house pulled away from God's truth, pulled away from what he wants to teach us and train us and mold, with, mold us with, from within. We can be pulled away from that, even from within the walls of God's house. And this should, again, not be taken lightly because they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Not, mm, you know, agree to disagree, 
It says destructive heresies. They bring destruction with them, swift destruction on themselves and those who follow them. Jesus also gives us a similar warning on false teachers in Matthew 7, actually most of Matthew 7, but I'll look at verse 15, which is probably one of the most famous images when it comes to false teachers. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So they look like us on the outside, but there's something different on the inside. They talk like us. They act the way we feel they should act. They've got all the right moves. The woolly fur of a sheep. I don't know. Just keeping that image in your head. But they're not motivated by the love of Christ because the love of Christ is not in them. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not being changed from within. So they don't have that changed heart, that inner push away from sin, that desire to do the acts or follow the ways of God. They don't have that deep down inside. They are wolves. They are out for their own profit and their own gain. And this can happen even in the walls of God's house. I heard of a man not, not that long ago, and he was, a, he was actually a deacon within his church for many years. And he was a bit self-deceived, and God was gracious with him. And he came to a point one day in the middle of a service when he realized he doesn't know Christ at all. He hadn't been saved. He had been doing it all for himself. He had been just going through the motions. He liked the way he liked to be important in the church. He liked the way his the way his role or the way people looked at him because of his role in the church. But he had no connection to Christ. And he told of how his moment of realization he had to go down to the front after service and be prayed for from the pastor to accept Christ, to repent for his sin. What a humbling experience that would be when you're the deacon in a church. Everybody knows you're the deacon. And yet God was gracious to him to bring him to that truth before it was too late. He was self-deceived and God showed him that grace. The point is that a position that somebody holds in a church, the authority that they have over other people, the crowds of people that come to see them, This is not what constitutes them as being one of God's own. This is not what constitutes them as speakers of truth. Those are just titles given by men to men. They're not necessarily speakers of truth. Now, I'm not saying that obviously there are good preachers. I hope you guys are here today, so... But those roles in themselves are not enough. So we have to be careful. We have to be cautious. There are church leaders throughout the world, not just in churches. Now we have a lot of big movements, new organizations all the time. I mean, insanely amount, insane amount of new organizations coming up all the time. And they might be good organizations, but that doesn't mean that every single person in it should be immediately trusted because of their position We need to be cautious. We need to be looking out for false teachers. They could be leaders, deacons, even pastors. I want us to be more aware and on the lookout for these dangerous people because of what's at stake. So next, let's look a little bit closer at what's false. What is false here? What are we talking about? Again, I'm going to be somewhat specific. We're talking about, I'm going to be a bit broad today. I might go a little bit more specific next week. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to mention names. Again, if you have somebody in your heart, maybe you should pray about if that's God telling you something. I don't know. But let's look a little bit closer at this. Number two, our second point. It's not always the doctrine they teach, but the way they use it. It's not always the doctrine they teach. It's the way that they use it, the motivation behind it. In verse 3, it says, In their greed, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated 
stories. False teachers are, I believe, when we say false teachers, especially the way he's describing it here, and we could talk about another category another time, he's talking specifically about those who know the truth. They, they have a concept of the truth, and they have a concept of what they're doing with the truth. They're usually ones who know it and either twist it, they twist the truth of God's word, God's promises, the truth of what we see in God's word, they twist it to their own profit, right? Out of greed or whatever it might be. Or they deny it. They deny certain parts of the truth. They only accept little bits here and there and deny other parts because, oh, well, that doesn't apply or, oh, they have some reason for why that's not true. Because... To emphasize it would not fit in with their truth. It would not fit in with the lie that they've propagated. So they will deny certain parts of the truth of God's word. Or they will avoid it, which is a really popular thing to do. As I talked about last week, or yeah, last week, um, when it comes to the importance of God's word and that we want to not take his word out of context, we don't want to twist it, we want to be very careful to look at what is God saying, what does he want to say here in this text, because if I just pick bits and pieces when I want and the way I want, I can avoid the things that are uncomfortable, I can avoid the things that might not fit with what I'm trying, with my doctrine. Rather than seeking the doctrine of the word of God, I can twist it by avoiding certain parts. And that's what these false teachers will do. And the thing is, is it's not going to be all wrong. It's not going to be all wrong. A false teacher, a sect, false doctrines, all these things, they are all going to contain some elements of truth. They have to contain some elements of truth or it would be too easy to spot. Some more than others, and it can get a bit hazy when it gets down to, well, exactly what is wrong here? What is the false aspect of what they're saying? And we have to really be on alert. Sometimes it will be blatant. If somebody's denying Christ, denying the work of the cross... I would say we could go through all of the Apostles' Creed and anything that they directly deny as true, then we can say, well, okay, well, you're fitting more into with false, with false teaching, and I'm going to be a little bit more cautious about anything else you have to say. Sometimes it's very obvious, but not always. There are many times where the terms used are the same as ours. It sounds the same. It sounds similar. But they have a different meaning behind it. They talk about Jesus, about grace, about freedom, about love and forgiveness, and yet they do not mean it according to the biblical truth that it's meant to mean. They're misleading people by using the right terminology, and many people are misled when the truth, when it seems to be the truth, it's close to the truth, it's close enough, isn't it? It's almost exactly the same, but something's different, but I don't exactly know what it is. When it contains bits of the truth, many become more open to it, right? It sounds right, it sounds good. And as true believers, when we are when we are believers and we belong to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have Christ within us who reveals truth to us. And I believe that in those situations, we can listen to false teaching. We can listen to people who are kind of mostly right. And we can filter it because we have the Holy Spirit. We know the word of God and we can maybe filter out those false truths. But we should really be on our guard with that. Number one, because we want to make, or we want to be very careful, rather, about what and who we are letting speak into our lives. Who are we opening ourselves up to and why? And also, we want to be careful about who we're advocating. Who are we advocating? Because maybe you're safe. You can listen and you can filter out the good and the bad and you know where you stand. You know you belong to the Lord. But maybe that same, those same teachers are 
leading other people to destruction. They don't have that filter. They don't know the things that you know. We need to be careful who we're advocating. It is one of my greatest fears. And the thing that Jesus warns us about, which we'll talk more about next week, that there are going to be people who believe they belong to Christ who do not. That they will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We know you. And he's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. Depart from me. And those, I believe, are the people who were misled by false teachers, who gave a little bit of the truth, but not the whole story, not the true saving power and work of Jesus Christ and what it means to truly belong to him and how to live for him, how to make every effort to seek to see the Christian virtues that we looked at in chapter 1 manifest in our lives. Bits of the truth is not the same as the truth. It's not the same as the truth. We need the whole truth. We need the whole picture. If I was to teach you how to drive a car and I told you all about the gas pedal and how to go faster and said, all right, now get in and go. You're going to lead, I'm leading you to your destruction because eventually you're going to have to know how to stop the car. You need all of the truth. It's not enough to have just the parts that sound good, just the parts that feel nice, and not know about how to live for Christ. How to be one who says, when Jesus says, those who love me obey my commands. How do we get there? Let's not be misled by bits of truth. We need all of it. They were distorting and they are today distorting, especially Paul's letters. And he's going to talk about this in chapter 3, verse 16. But he talks about how they're, they're, they have an ignorance of it. They don't really get what he's trying to say. And so then they twist it to what they want it to mean out of their selfish pursuits. One false distortion that we see both then and we see today is the one out of greed. And I think... Very specifically, I will say that a lot has to do with what we call prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is not a true gospel. Prosperity gospel, if you don't know it, we don't have time to get into all of, of what we could dive into there, but at its core, it's a twisting of the truth that God that in God we have prosperity or we will have prosperity. That is true. The Bible tells us so. But what does that prosperity look like? What does that prosperity mean? And here's where they start to twist it. We, they talk about how we're children of Abraham. And that's true. We are children of Abraham. We have received the promises of Abraham. And that we can do all things through Christ. And we are blessed when we are putting our trust in the Lord. Those are true. But where the twisting comes in is when a teacher says to you, I need you to give, you need to give more to God. You need to give more to God, a.k.a. my church, in order to receive God's blessings. As if God was some peddler of, of promises. It's not how God works. And prosperity isn't always financial gain. God does sometimes bless people with financial success. I'm not saying that's not true. But there's no promise that if you do this, he will give you these things. He, we can look at many examples. Jesus, when he talks, when the rich man comes, he says, give everything. What, what do I need to do to be saved? Jesus says, do you obey the commands? Yeah. Okay, well, give all of everything you have away. Follow me. And he went away sad. He wanted his money more than he wanted to follow Christ. And God will never promise us financial gain because we've given enough or done enough or earned it enough. That's not how it works. And if we really understand who God is and we really understand the grace of God, who cares about money in the end? I know where I'm going. I know that I'm, pro I'm promised to spend eternity with him. There I'm promised a mansion and I would rather have that one than one here on earth. God is not a God of a quick pro quo, favor for favor, 
God does not deal that way. It's a false teaching, a twisting of God's good and precious promises for a prophet and a greed of a teacher. Our faith and our trust in God is not based on the amount of money we can give. It's good to give, it's good to trust in the Lord, but it's not a guarantee of financial gain. I don't give to my church because I know if I do, God will bless me. I give because he has already blessed me. He's already given me more than I could ever need through the grace and love I have in Christ. And everything I have is from him. What else can I do but give back? That's why we give. So be careful of those teachers who profit off of those from whom they teach. Not that we shouldn't pay pastors, right? Everybody said, amen. amen. Pay the pastors. Pay them good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but in all seriousness, be cautious about that. It can sound good. It can sound rewarding. Man, let's not, that's a, it's a, a bit of the truth, but it's not the whole truth. And it misses the important parts. Another distortion of the teachers, especially of Peter's writing, I mean, sorry, of Paul's writing, and that Peter's warning us about, I think specifically in this text, we see this is one of the key things that they were, that he was uh, addressing or trying to warn us about, is on sexual immorality. Paul talked about grace and freedom, and they twisted it into do whatever you want. Live how you want, you're free. You're free to live how you want. And they rejected a life that is in submission to Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to live. I don't do it perfectly, but I want to live, I want to aim to live a life that is in submission to him. I want to follow him through anything and everything to the end. I don't want to do what I want. But this is what they were teaching. Verse 10 says, this is especially true, and he's just went through all of these things about destruction, right? So he's talking about that, they, that they're headed to destruction. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. So there you have just this all kind of perfect bubble of what it is to just do what you want, to reject authority, reject people saying what you should do, or reject the authority of Christ, right? They rejected the one who, who paid for them or who bought them, it says at the beginning, which is referring to Jesus Christ's sacrifice, that he paid the price for salvation and they reject that truth. And they instead want to follow the desires of their flesh. And in verse 18, uh, we'll look at it next week, but Peter is going to go on to say how, how their words are empty because they don't contain any real truth or substance, but they're also boastful. They talk like they know what they're talking about. They talk with confidence. They talk sure of themselves. And their words are enticing. When we listen, their words are enticing. They have an appeal. Why? Because they're appealing, and they're directed toward our, the, the, the lustful desires of our flesh, the, which is a part of all of us, we all live in this flesh. We all have these desires that we are constantly battling. We're at war with those desires. And they are a powerful force in our life. So when a teacher we trust says, hey, you're free. Do what you want. It's okay. You don't need to fight your desires anymore. God gave you those desires. That's a good thing to give in to them. And it's certainly not sin of course people want to jump on board. It sounds enticing. It sounds free. It sounds like freedom. Paul talked about freedom. That sounds like freedom. It must be freedom. But the reality is it has nothing to do with freedom. In verse 19 of chapter 2, again, we'll look at it next week, but they promise, and he's talking about this exact thing, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves of whatever has mastered them. What has mastered you? What has power in your life? What has authority over you? Is it Christ? Is it his promises? Is, it, is that what you long for? Is that what you seek? These false teachers were living a life that they called freedom. But this freedom they li- that, that they lived and taught to others led 
only to destruction. It was only a different kind of slavery, a slavery of themselves. Let's be weary of these kinds of talk, overemphasizing freedom as if freedom means that separate again it's it's a piece of the truth we do we have freedom christ has set us free it is for freedom he has set us free i am free in christ and i know i am and the thing i'm free from is my desires because they were my master before i was a slave to them but now i'm free from that and i would if i had to choose i will always choose christ as my master over myself i know me i'm not a very good boss i don't trust me And this explains why he emphasizes what he does in chapter 1. He's really building us up for what he's headed to here in chapter 2. That we are to make every effort to see the true virtues of Christianity manifest in our lives. He says that in verse 5 through 7. One of them is what? Self-control. We are to have self-control. Not that self should have control, but we are to have self-control. As we mentioned at the beginning of this series, we're all headed in one of two directions, right? We either have life within us because we belong to Christ and we're connected to the source or not. And we follow self. We're like a tree that is filled with life, connected to the stream and growing, or we are dying from within and rotting, no matter how we look on the outside. Or as Sam used the analogy, we are in the ocean fighting to make our way towards Christ, fighting to get to Christ on shore, making every effort to move toward him while always being pulled by the undertow. And if we aren't fighting for Christ, then we are being carried out into sea. The third point I want to look at today is test to see if anything is from the Lord. Test it. We have all these teachings, all these ideas, all of these doctrines being kind of pumped at us. And now it's, you know, I mean, I, I go through my Instagram and it's like, you know, all of these ministries. And a lot of them are good. Some of them, eh, not so much. <laughs> we have to be cautious. And we have a simple answer. Test it. Right? John uh, in 1 John 4, right, he, uh, verse 1, he says that uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. These spirits of false truth are going out and they're using people to speak to us. So test it. Is it from God or not? Test their words, test their truths, test their doctrines. Check for yourself. And how do you do this? Well, John goes on, and I I would simplify it to this simple point. Where's Jesus at when they talk? Where's Christ at? Is he at the center point? Did they talk about Jesus coming, being born of a virgin, being raised from the dead, dying on the cross for their sins? Do they talk about Jesus as a center point of salvation, as the rock of our salvation, or is he just some side note in what they talk about. And another thing I would point out really here, or point out here as a thing to be cautious about, are they talking about a Jesus or are they talking about the Jesus? Because today I think there's a big difference. People talk about, yeah, I, you know, I, I follow Jesus. And I'm like, well, okay, do you, do you know who he is? Because the way you're living your life, it seems like you don't. Because he talked really strongly against some of the things you're doing. I think you, ha- you know a Jesus one that you've put into your mind as Jesus, but it's not the Jesus. Saying Jesus doesn't mean it's Jesus. We have a a documented look at who he was in the Bible. And if you get way off from that, you're not worshiping Jesus anymore. You're worshiping some fluffy guru Jesus. It's not the real Christ. And Jesus himself warns of false teachers we looked at uh, we started in Matthew 7 we'll continue and he gives us kind of a tool to use 
by their, or sorry, in Matthew 7, 16 through 17, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. He goes on, that's, that's it. A good tree can only bear good fruit. A bad tree can only bear bad fruit. They're either speakers of truth or they're not. And this is not about how many people come to see them. I always feel like people are always like, well, you know, God must be blessing their ministry. Look, there's thousands of people that come to see him every week. That's not what fruit is. Fruit, that's not what fruit is. People go to see, thousands of people go to see a lot of things that have nothing to do with Christ. Have you ever been to a concert? I saw a Dave Matthews concert once. There was a lot of people there. I didn't think that God had blessed him. I just think that he was a good, good musician, a good entertainer. That's not the fruit. The fruit is who they are on the inside, who they are inwardly, right? He goes, this is a, the continuation of what we looked at with the sheep and wolves. So outwardly, they may look like something. Maybe their ministry looks good. Maybe everything looks right. But inwardly, something's wrong. Inwardly, they're wolves. The fruit being produced in their lives comes from what's inside. And really, this is hard to tell. We can't always see that right away. And it's, I'm not saying that's an easy test. And, and it kind of makes me think that I think we'll be a bit surprised when we go to heaven of who is there and who isn't. Those that we maybe thought were true speakers of God didn't belong to him at all. And people who we didn't really notice at all are there. We might be surprised, but we can watch our teachers, and we should. We should watch them. We should be looking. Do they love? Do they have peace? Are they gracious? Do they have fruit in their life? Not perfect. Don't be judging me by any standard of perfection. They don't need to be perfect, but you will know them by their fruit. I believe when you look close enough and when you look long enough. And I believe that all of that is proven in the end. I mean, there are some big preachers that have come, and a lot of them were even maybe good speakers of truth, but because there was, there was a corruption on the inside, their ministry just collapsed. Ministries of thousands of people. Because their character wasn't right. God takes that seriously, and so should we. We should be watching. Are they moving towards life? Is there growth? In a positive way, are Christian virtues being multiplied in them and through them, as we saw in chapter 1, or not? And lastly, of course, test everything with what? The Bible. Man, you guys are half asleep. The Bible. Test what they say to the Bible. Is what they say true everywhere? Does it fit into scripture? Or is it just some abstract truth that was loosely connected? Test what they say to the Bible. And the thing is, is that we are to test what speakers, what preachers, what teachers say against the Bible and not the other way around. I feel like all the time I hear people talk about, you know, things that they struggle with the, the Bible, and it's always because they're building their doctrine based off of what they heard from people instead of seeking the doctrine of the Word of God. Don't go that way. Go the other way. Test what they're saying to the Word of God, not test the Word of God by what they're saying. Oh, the Word of God might not be true then because it doesn't agree with them. No. The Bible is our standard. Remember, not just a bit here and there. It's not the partial truths, but the whole Bible in its entirety. So take heed to this and listen and know the Word of God. Know the Bible. It contains truth. As we looked at also in, in verse 19 of chapter 1, that it is something completely reliable. It is something trustworthy, something to put our trust in. It is the Word of God, and it is our standard above all else. And I can say I want to preach good Bible-based truth to you guys every week. That is definitely my heart and my goal. But I also want you guys to learn and to know how to dig deep into this book. That's why I like how we go through the Bible, so that you're not just 
getting ideas of this or that truth, but you're getting the whole picture, building the whole truth, and hopefully learning how to dig into it yourself, to dig into this living well of truth. Meditate on these truths. Know them. These good and precious promises of God found inside his word. And check everything against the word of God, including me. Including me, please. (laughs) Check everything against the word of God. Number four, everything is at stake. There is a path that does lead to destruction. There is a hell. He says even the angels were sent to hell. There is a hell. And no one, talk, no one talked more about hell than Jesus, the real Jesus of the word of God. The biblical Jesus talked a lot about it. Again, more than anyone else in the Bible. And I don't know what exactly it will be like, and I don't want to know, really. This isn't something we want to talk about all the time or something we want to dwell on. But it's foolish to push it away as something that is non-existent. And I would say any teacher who says that it is non-existent is a false teacher. It's not true. Or I would say they are a true teacher of whatever it is they're teaching, but it's not the word of God. It's not going to lead to salvation because it's not what Jesus Christ talked about. We do know that it's a place of darkness. And that God and all that he is is not there. His love, his joy, his peace, pleasure, beauty, rest. All that is good comes from him. All the things we enjoy in this life. A good meal, whatever it might be. Getting hungry right now, maybe that's where that came from. All those good things that come from God are from him. And hell is a place absent of God, absent of all that is good, a place of unimaginable loneliness and sorrow and pain. And I believe the loneliness is the deepest cut because we always have a sense of God, even if you don't belong to him, because of the beauty of this world around us. But there there will be no sense of God. We will be completely absent from him. And that's what's at stake. That's what he means when he says these teachers are leading them to destruction. These are the things the false teachers love to avoid. They don't want to talk about this stuff. They want us to feel free and to do what we want and definitely not to think about anything like hell or consequences for our actions. But Peter gives us the three examples of God's judgment and consequences, which I will briefly go through. He talks about angels who were cast into hell, into darkness, put into chains, held for judgment. There's a lot we could unpack there. You can come talk to me after, and I can give you more information. But basically, this is referring to when the devil, Satan, Lucifer, he has many names, led a third of the angels against God. They rebelled against God, against him, against his ways, rejected him. And Peter is drawing a line back to the source where all false teaching is really rooted. It's a rejection of God and his truth and his way. And it goes all the way back to the beginning when Satan began that so long ago. And if God is not going to withhold judgment from these, is his point, these great beings of the ancient times long before humanity came into the picture, than those who reject the truth today, who rebel against the one who paid the price for them, are going to be under that same judgment. It's a sobering warning, but not one that we want to shy away from or pretend isn't there. It's in God's word. He also gives the example of the world, right? He destroyed the whole world with the flood, He says in verse 5, they had gone the way of Cain. So another place describes it. Who selfishly killed his brother. It's again rooting it back to the source. It's all the same sin. Sin has been sin from the start. 
And God cannot abide sin. This is why he makes a way. Right? He made a way for Adam or for, sorry, for Noah and his family and for all those who trust in him. And for us today, simply by our faith in Jesus Christ. And he gives the example of the flesh, where he, where he kind of really draws it in close to home. Again, I think he was really pointing at their sexual immorality, how they were kind of living this free lifestyle of like, do what you want. And so he gives the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was at its root all about self-indulgence, doing whatever you feel. To reject any of God's truth is a way, a path that leads only to destruction. But also to condone it, to teach it, to be okay with it, to accept it as something that's just the way it is, is also wrong. We should live by the truth of God's word, but also stand for it amongst others even when it's unpopular. I can tell you it's not easy. I mean, I'm here in church. I know many of you. It's still not easy to talk about this stuff, even from here. But we need to live this. We need to live it in a way that is prominent, even amongst others. Are we not heartless to the world around us when we just simply say, let them do what they want? when we stand by and act as though everything were not at stake. Eternity really has, or really is, hanging in the balance. Be one who speaks the truth of Christ's love. And the grace that you have, and the joy that you have experienced in following him. Celebrate it. That it is better to be a servant of Christ than a servant of self. And number five, let's end with the hope we have in Christ, the truth we've received. In verse seven, he says, if he, if he rescued Lot, so we went through all of these things about God's judgment, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, and then he says in verse eight, he was a righteous man living among them day after day. He was tormented in his Righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. In verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Now, Lot gives me a lot of hope. I don't know if you know the story of Lot. We don't have time to get into it, but he was not exactly the model citizen or the model image of a righteous man. In fact, uh, if you were to ask me, did he, was, he, was he a righteous man at all, I would have had a hard time answering he did some kind of crazy things. I mean, first of all, he moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. You kind of have to be, uh, you know, a little bit on the edge if you decide that's, that's a good place to settle in. Now, we know his wife, she didn't, she didn't want to let go of Sodom and Gomorrah. She, as it was being destroyed, she had to turn around. She had, it was, had become too much a part of who she was. She didn't belong to the Lord. She didn't put her trust in him. She had her trust in her life there, whatever that looked like. But it says that he was a righteous man. Amidst all of Lot's faults, which we can all relate to, at least I can, I've got some faults, he hated sin. He hated sin, and he hated seeing it destroy those around him. Peter tells us it was against his heart. It it tormented him to see how they were acting, to see how they were living, because his heart belonged to God, And his trust was in him. That's who Lot put his trust in, in the Lord, even amidst the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. What a testimony for us. And we live day to day in this world that we would not be okay with what's happening around us, not okay with people falling into sin, not okay with people being led to destruction, but that it would be something that troubles us, torments us to see. In closing, I want to leave you with another warning from Jesus, especially in line with false teachers. In John 7, 13 through 14, he says, The gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. 
and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There are two gates before us. One is easy, comfortable, doesn't make us uneasy, doesn't have any hard truths, hard doctrines. It's all easy peasy. It's attractive to the desires of our flesh. And the other is small and narrow, hard, a difficult path to tread. But one leads to destruction and the other leads to eternal life and joy with Christ. I know which one I want to choose and what I hope all those who see my life would be drawn to. We don't need to be perfect, but we must keep making every effort daily, as Lot did, to hate sin. Not the people, but to hate sin because it corrupts and it destroys. That we would be putting our trust in the Lord, knowing He is faithful to rescue us from trials, from the deception of false teachers, and from the hold of, that sin tries to take on our lives. I'll invite the band to come up as we prepare to close. You have been given everything you need, Peter says in chapter 1. Everything you need in order to live a godly life. So I encourage you, for your sake, and for those who are watching you, around you, Keep your eyes fixed on him, on Christ, seeking him daily as you live for him, making every effort, spending time with him in prayer and seeking to know him more in his word that you would not be deceived. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today to us. It's a hard one, Lord. It's a hard truth. But we see it again and again in your word, something that I find worthy of taking note. If you see it worth mentioning more than once, we should pay attention to it. Let us be alert, vigilant, and watchful of false teachers among us, around us, and that we would not be deceived, and that we would live for you, we would know you well by your word, and that we would live for you out loud amongst the people in our lives, that they would see your truth shine through us. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. All right, I invite you guys to stand now as we close with a final song together.